Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com, joined by Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. Tim, hands, face, is the government a waste of space? Heads, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. What? what? <laughs> I think I, I, think <laughs> I know. that and stay fashionable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's caught your eye, Tim? What's going uh, on? I've, I, there's, a, there's a trifecta of interesting things happening this morning. So we're recording this on Thursday, the 15th of October. Uh, three three things particularly took my fancy. The first one I'll mention is probably the most significant. Have you seen? Did you have a chance to see that Fox News report? Yes, yes, I did my okay, homework. So, yeah. So for the benefit of people who haven't seen it yet, uh, it would appear that Facebook and Twitter basically censored uh, the New York Post over a, a, some intriguing uh, developments in relation to Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Um, and it, it basically it confirms all, all your worst fears if you have fears about social media because they are inherently biased. Yes. So in other words, they're happy to encourage bad news about Trump, but so they're very partisan. They're happy to encourage bad news about Trump, but anything that's critical of Joe Biden just gets you know, sent down the Orwellian memory hole. And I just wonder whether the, this is a story that actually will have legs um, so I particularly like to tweet. I'll see if I can bear with me while I get it up. Talk amongst yourselves in the meantime, and I'll um, I'll try and find the, the tweet. There is obviously the desire to to prevent the spread of misinformation, but at the same time, who decides what is misinformation? Well, it's, it's the whole argument who 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 guards the guardians. Yeah, know? yeah, and and the power and the control of big tech. And again, that's something that that seems to be coming to the fore, and the amount of well, regulation seems to be coming in or they're talking about regulation, whether it's giving lip service to it. We just don't know at this stage. But it does seem that these tech companies are so very, very powerful that politicians have to cower to them and get on their right side. And and that, that can't be right. So we need more competition. And I guess there needs to be competition to Twitter and Facebook and other companies that are independent. So Jim Rickards, who's uh, a, oh, yes. a fellow stablemate within the Agora, um, publishing world. Uh, Jim Rickards tweeted, uh, Facebook and Twitter censored the New York Post, founded by Alexander Hamilton. More evidence the left can think one move ahead, but not two or three. Social media will find their operations regulated, broken up sooner than later. Nice job, Zuck and Jack. And if that seems uh, premature, then the next thing that I was going to highlight was the uh, news that's uh, in the Financial Times today. France and Netherlands joined forces to back EU move against tech giants. And I know this is something that has been sort of foremost in your mind for some time now, namely the risk that, which is becoming increasingly close to reality, that um, the authorities, not in the States, but now here in Europe, are thinking of breaking up the likes of Facebook and um, and other big tech giants. Well, there has been talk of it in the States as well. So, yeah. yeah. So it's... Um, it, it's just very clear that they're they're so huge, so powerful. When you when you control the devices that we use, you can get to anybody. Basically, you can ping them. You can um, you know control what people see. You can make things bubble up to the top of your news feed and make other things go down and get buried. So it's it's an amazing amount of power, and we've never had this before in history. So in some ways. The governments have got to catch up with mm. the regulation of them because they just don't know how to regulate them. And so it becomes a bit of a wild west until everything settles down. 
So usually, I, what, what, the way I think it would work is the politicians will try to get on their right side, and then when that doesn't work, then they would just try to strong arm them into into submission. But if you look at if you go back and look at how Bill Gates was was uh, forced to explain his monopoly position when he mm. released Windows all those years ago. And he literally had to take a step back from running his company just to fight off the the desire to show that he was running a monopoly when all he was doing was at that point he was just particularly successful. What is what is what is the difference between a very successful company and a monopoly that does not allow other players to get in? And that's again a fine line, but it seems to be a, a you know a, a trend that data wise I don't think can can really change because. They have, as I've said before, they've got more data on us than than anybody else, and mm. the governments must want that. Yeah, the the third thing uh, amongst this this this, this triumvirate is the there's a piece in the the Mail um, today, which is not a newspaper I regularly read, admittedly, uh, but by it was trending on Twitter by Professor Angus Dalgleish, and the headline is this week Matt Hancock condemned experts who dared question lockdown. Now, after two of them embarrassingly exposed his basic errors, Professor Angus Dalgleish asks, "How is this petulant, shockingly ignorant minister still in a job?" Um, and the the thesis advocated is one that I, I certainly buy into, which is basically Matt Hancock is simply being kept on until such a time as it becomes politically expedient to throw him under the bus um, to detract from any any heat um, being applied to Boris Johnson himself. So in other words, he's, he's, he's on borrowed time. So what's happening with Brexit? Um, we seem to be down to the wire again, you know, for the, for the, for the, 90 millionth time um so i you know watch this space I, I i seem to recall that this was a key week in terms of if we don't get a deal or or you know strong evidence towards a deal then we're going to walk away so i'm looking forward to walking away because i i don't think the i don't think that brussels is negotiating in good faith so i think we should just uh, leave the you know quietly leave the room but the perspective the perspective i like is that advocated by uh, christopher snowden of the iea who we've had on the the show um and his his point was, you know, I, I wish I could para- I wish I could actually sort of quote it verbatim, but it, the paraphrased version is, you know, when when health when, when historians in the future look at the sort of the healthcare situation in the UK in twenty twenty, they'll see that basically nothing much was wrong. When economists they when they look back at the economy in twenty twenty, it'll look like we were hit by an asteroid. Um, and the the whole, I mean, everything to do with coronavirus now just looks more and more like a, a it, it, let's say, a cock up to begin with, but now a cock up that's turned into a conspiracy, along the lines of, well, we we fucked up, so now we'd better cover our tracks. But everything they do, it's like if you're in a hole, stop digging. But all they're doing is just, you know, request, you know, sequestering more and more JCBs and making the hole bigger and bigger and bigger until until there's nothing left. Yeah, the um. The looking at the data, according to the scientists, they're saying that that there is a lead time between testing positive and and then ending up in hospital, which, to be fair, is the case with this particular virus. But the the numbers of people going into hospital with it has actually increased, but there's still uh, relatively no low numbers. And I think that if one looks at why they why they're doing it it's because they think that this is a foretaste 
the, the positive tests are a foretaste of a big rush of cases going into hospital. But at the moment, it seems to be causing so much, um, so much anger and so much confusion that, you know, for example, if if you believe that you've got to shut, you know, pubs, restaurants, and casinos in Liverpool, why not shut the schools as well? I mean, to say that the children aren't spreading it, we're back to where we were in March when, when I was saying we need, if you're going to do something, shut the schools straight away because, of course, kids spread it. Who says that they're not going to spread it? But not shut it. Doesn't, it don't, they don't get badly affected by it, is the point. Well, yeah, the, but, they, but then they spread it on to other people, and that's, that's where the numbers go up. So if you're, if you're I would say, sh- shutting the schools and keeping the business open is, is much, makes much more sense than the other way around. Surely, but, I, can't, I, mean, I can't. I can't see. At the, the, other- at the end of the day, we keep circling back to places like Sweden, and you know they seem to have been doing it right, and all they're doing is getting criticised for it. I was listening to a, a, a sort of an on-demand piece by. It wasn't live. It was. It was Peter Hitchens being interviewed on one of the the the, the, the radio channels, and he was saying, you know, this is this is all just a, a gigantic waste of time and money and, and human life. The government can't do anything. It's trying to do stuff, but it can't do anything. You know, trying to control this is like trying to regulate the wind. You know, the thing is, it's just a step aside and, you know, do whatever it, the, the logical thing, the pragmatic thing surely is to, you know, as, as the government has said all along, protect the vulnerable and let everyone else make a, 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 a an adult assessment of the risks and go, go back to, to something as close to life as normal. Yeah. But the yeah. idea that the government can control this—it's like it's—it's it's like the same canard of, um, well, we can we can we can s- sort climate change if we all pay enough tax. I mean, it's just nonsense. So, with regard to your fund, what it, what yeah. what changes, if any, are you making? Are you looking for a correction to jump into some value stocks, or are you? We're holding. Sits- we're holding. We're certainly holding a bit of cash at the moment because the markets do feel overbought. Um, and so, yes, there's a bit of dry powder there. Which, which markets specifically? Uh, the, well, so we had one of our next releases for the main podcast is going to be a chat with Sean Corrigan, which I very much enjoyed, which we did on <laughs> yes. the 11th. And I, I'd say that's, that's all, you know, by our standards, it's almost explosive because <laughs> he doesn't exactly take any prisoners. So hopefully no. that'll be out quite soon. Yeah. Um, one, thing we dis- one thing we discussed on on that in that chat was there's a chart, I forget who I nicked it from, but there's a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average versus the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index. Oh, yeah. And so that's effectively equity assets versus commodities. Mm. That ratio in favour, basically the commodities are dirt cheap right now, that, that ratio has not been this low for 120 years. So, in other words, if you do, so the 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 the, the hedge fund response, the logical hedge fund response would basically be to, to you know to be to be blunt would be long commodities, short stocks. Um, so at the moment, the the way we we have our sort of client portfolios and our own fund configured is that we've got a fairly punchy allocation to precious metals miners. Um, but the next thing we will likely do will be. We may or may not rotate some of that because I, I quite I, I think that the long term bull thesis for gold and silver is intact, is completely intact because of the monetary, you know, hijinks and shenanigans that are occurring everywhere in the world. So I don't think that that sort of ultimate inflationary call is is likely to change anytime soon. And there are many technical. I mean, you're welcome to weigh in on this 
topic, but there are many technical analysts out there who think that gold is now in a multi, multi-year bull, bull trend, but you know, time will tell. But either way, it's, it's like a perfect sort of perfect storm for gold at the moment to the extent that the the price is the price is moving in the right direction. I don't think it's particularly expensive because it's you know relative to again to, to equity assets and other assets, it, it looks comparatively cheap on a ratio basis. The same applies to silver in relation to gold. Um, but the next thing we'll likely do is say whether or not we rotate out of precious metals, more likely we'll rotate out, we'll, we'll deploy some cash and start to look at broader-based commodity plays. So basically cheap, cheap. Uh, the, one, the one market I, I'm finding increasingly interesting is copper, for example. So to be less dependent on the, the vagaries of the, of the gold and silver price and to be more exposed to broader base commodities, but again, on a, on a value basis. The the thing about copper, um, Chris McIntosh, who we also had yes. on the show a while back, sent out a very interesting email the other day. And the the, 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 the long and short of it version is that Boris Johnson, to take the UK, Boris Johnson is now wheeling out all these sort of green crap initiatives. Um, and so one of them is basically wind power. So we're going to be dependent on wind, you know, in, in 10 years' time, which is nonsense. It'll never happen. But anyway, that's that's the stated intent. And another one is that we're going to be like the electric vehicle powerhouse of the world. And, and Chris points out that although the UK is less than 1% of the global population, to, to achieve those ends, we will need to take the entire global copper supply to make those things happen, which clearly is nonsensical. But it's just a sign of, you know, you, in other words, what I deduce from that, if, if Chris's figures are correct, and I'm sure they are, is you don't have to believe in a synchronized global recovery to, to, to see positive news for commodity prices. Yes. If you follow the, follow the logic. Definitely, yes. Because I mean, there's so much green nonsense going on. And it, it's all part of the, you know, this broader-based conspiracy. So I, 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 I'm, wear, I'm wary of using terms like conspiracy theory because immediately, you know, you start being accused of sort of being a member of the sort of tin, tinfoil helmet brigade. But the more digging you do on this, this, this nonsense that we're all living through, the more it looks as if there are some fairly prominent smoking guns out there. The other thing that if you haven't seen, you might well enjoy – is um is a i think it's fox australia um and or sorry sky is it sky australia either way it's one of the news channels in in australia and they're reporting on effectively all these roads leading back to the world economic forum so the world economic forum which is set up by this what looks like madman sort of ernst blofeld uh madman in the, in the 70s i think uh global klaus schwab but it's difficult to know where, it, where where this ends. There, there is lots of evidence that the the WEF, which is basically the sponsor of Davos, uh, has an agenda here that's been an open secret for years called the Great Reset. I'm so pleased that you bring that up because you asked me about the Great mm. Reset, and I think I misunderstood I it. Even, I hadn't even heard of it, yeah, you know, until no, comparatively recently. No, n- neither had I. And I, when you asked me what do you think of the Big Reset in in our private emails, mm. I think I misunderstood what you meant because I I thought the big reset was basically the central banks losing control of the currency the markets yeah, so a monetary reset monetary yeah, exactly. reset and yeah. you know everything sort of shaking out we have a big crisis and then it all sort of settles but that's not actually what it is is it or is it um I think it, it, it's just much broader than that okay um so basically all, all people need to do is 
Well, so this is Klaus Schwab. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. It's everything. So it's currency, it's the pandemic, it's the financial system, it's crypto, politics. it's digital currencies, it's politics, you know, everything. It's, right. it's, it's, it's sweeping. And if you find some of this stuff a little bit sinister, like I say, you know, if, if this was a, if this was um, meant to be done, you know, in stealth, you know, these guys have left a trail of breadcrumbs the size of the Swiss Alps. But it- um, so it's all, it's all out there. And one of the, so in other words, if you're looking to sort of point fingers, you then say, okay, so who was at the launch of the Great Reset in Parliament? And it's um, Matt Hancock. So, uh, so these I- guys are these guys are arm in arm with our current political class. I thought that the reset was something positive i thought it was a clear out of the system but no so, my, I, so my i'm confused take, i'm confused yeah, about my this. take on it i mean obviously people can do the search for themselves but my take on it is it's basically a an attempted power grab by by a by a technocracy but so what, you get to be you get to be part of it if you happen to be a, the one percent of the one percent so if you're a billionaire the chances are you're you know you know exactly what's going on the rest of us are watching this scratching our heads but what's what's the reset element of it i mean if surely the We'd all love to reset the politics, the the power that the big tech has got, the currency that's being debased, everything, all those things, the power that, I mean, if we think back to actually looking at that documentary that you mentioned um, on a media pick, the, the Murdoch uh, dynasty, mm. you look at how much power he had. Mm. There's always been somebody in control or some organization in control, and that doesn't seem... That doesn't seem fair, but there should always be at least a counterbalance to it, and people should be able to choose. But why would they? Why would they want to reset if they've got as much control as they've got now? I mean, they've got okay, plenty so of control. One of the things that that Klaus Schwab, I mean, he didn't write it; it was ghostwritten for him by someone at the World Economic Forum. But Klaus Schwab has put his name to a book called "The Fourth Industrial Revolution." So this is from the WEF website. The fourth industrial revolution represents a fundamental change in the way we live, work, and relate to one another. It is a new chapter in human development, enabled by extraordinary technology advances commensurate with those of the first, second, and third industrial revolutions. Blah, blah, blah. Physical, digital, biological worlds, speed, breadth, and depth of revolution, how countries develop, how organizations create value, and even what it means to be human. It's, it's well... Uh, People can you know look themselves. They don't. They don't need me to to, to 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 parrot this stuff out. But it includes AI, virtual reality, digital economy. Um, okay, so let's let's take a step back. There's a film. I, I you know I, I I love my films. And there's a. Have you seen a film called Quatermass Two? No. Okay. Have you seen Quatermass? Uh, I remember the name, but I haven't. I haven't seen it. So, so Quatermass was basically there was. It ended up being a trilogy of films. So the original Quatermass film. Has, which is a sci-fi classic, uh, has a, a rocket, a rocket ship that that crashes, having well, been to outer space. Is this the one and, in the tube under, underneath the tube, and there's this rock or something? Or I'm uh, thinking of something that's else. That's Quatermass in the Pit, which is the third. Ah, okay? yes, yeah, so I've seen so, that one. Yes, so, and that's in yes, color. That Quater, the original Quatermass was black and white. It was also a BBC TV series. Uh-huh. Um, but the original Quatermass. Uh, this is huge spoiler alert, by the way. So if anyone wants to see these films, <laughs> do not listen to the next two minutes. Um, the original Quatermass, a rocket ship goes t- to space and then crashes back in England because we. This is at a time when we we thought we could be part of the space race, haha. Um, <laughs> and basically, all the astronauts have gone except one. There's one guy left, and so the question is, what happened to the other astronauts? Anyhow, the one survivor then turns into a basically a sort of gigantic pizza that then ends up roaming London. Um, so that's the first Quatermass film. And that's basically an alien film. <laughs> right. The second Quatermass film is the one I'm I'm citing now, and Quatermass two basically has the plot 
where lots of these these little uh, like little pods start landing, uh, meteorites start landing in in England again, and uh, Quatermass is still on the scene, involved with the 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 the, the, the UK rocket project or whatever it's called. Um, and he, he gets involved because, you know, people get hurt by these things as they're sort of coming into Earth. They're very small, so they're like, 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 like basically like hand grenades. And then as he goes to in, inspect the, where the, the crash site where these things are landing, he finds that there's a gigantic new village being built, which I think was actually filmed at one of the – it's either – I think it was a Shell oil refinery in, in the film – but is it, and that that village is actually modelled off a lunar village that he himself had, had designed for you know when we whenever we get to the moon and he says that's 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 intriguing and what what it turns out is happening is that um, the vill- the reason for this lunar village is that is actually in the southeast of England a place called Winterton Flats is which is like Milton Keynes the reason for the village is that basically the aliens have managed to. Um, take control of the British establishment and they are building uh, 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 basically the infrastructure whereby they can slowly acclimatize the earth to, 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 you know, to protect more aliens. And it, it's, it's a kind of ridiculous, it's a kind of ridiculous sounding premise until you see what's going on now. Yeah. Exactly. Everything, anything's possible in 2020. So, so it's like aliens have taken control of, you know, the British, well, actually the international political establishment and are slowly preparing us for something that's probably quite grisly. And anyway, so watch the film and, and make your own conclusions. The Quatermass stuff is basically Cold War, post-war, um, you know, uh, conspiracy type stuff, but it's very, very well done. Mm. Um, watch, you, we have to watch Quatermass too and then come back to me. We can talk about it later. Okay, okay, I'll do that. That's, that's my homework. So, as <laughs> I think you'll enjoy though. It's a cracking yeah, yes, film. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so, market wise, we're seeing everything a bit wobbly this morning. And- yeah, and I, 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 I suspect it's sort of long overdue. Frankly, that you know, people. Are, I, ideally, what happens? I mean, how do you get how do you get the political class to respond sensibly, like adults, rather than just running around like headless chickens? Well, they respond to money. They respond to people losing money. So maybe maybe the market will protect us. Maybe if enough money evaporates in the financial markets, then maybe people will come to the senses. I am not hopeful. Well, I I've always thought that there is a direct link to the happiness of a nation and and the stock market, and that's part of the reason why the incumbent in any election will stay in. If you look at the stock market, so if the stock mm. market is relatively high and or at least stable, then there's a much better chance of the incumbent winning because people don't want change. And um, I remember the impeachment of Bill Clinton and everyone was saying, oh, this is you know, going to crash the market and it's going to be a big issue. And it, it turned out to be a non-event. It was a non-event. And it was because mm. the stock market was going up, nobody really cared. And, and so we have seen a sideways range for a few months now, in, in, certainly in the FTSE. But there's big support that keeps getting tested around 57.15. I think if that goes then we could see a bit of a lurch to the downside. And obviously... But, but to be fair, the, sorry to interrupt, I mean, the, but to be fair, the FTSE is kind of a non-issue because the, the market that really matters is the fangs. If the fangs go, then everything goes. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, Apple released their latest phone yesterday and I think there was a lot of sort of buying ahead of it because there's, there always seems to be good news. But the, the, the fangs have attempted to make a new high and come back down they've gone for another look at it and 
this may be a turning point. So, so we, you think this is we were close to close to breaking support for Fangs? Well, n- n- not yet. It's just that they're 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 turning they're turning down, not in any any big way, but they have they have printed their high already. So they've mm. not exceeded that high yet. I had a quick look at Microsoft. You know your favourite company that makes Skype, mm. and that uh, that that looked like it was turning down as well. And you know Warren Buffett, to his credit, has sold apparently he sold his Apple shares from mm. what I read. So don't quote me on that, but I'm mm. sure I saw something that said that he sold. Well, to be to be, to be fair, if it held them all year, he's made seventy percent. So it's not a bad not a bad turn for a fairly short term holding. I just wanted to ask a question, just circling back to what you were saying about gold and silver. It's just just remembered. Um, do you will you always keep a core holding even if you look to rotate or when you decide to rotate out of those stocks do you just get out of them completely no but it, it depends i mean it, we for clients for example we've always had um both bullion i mean since we started the business 5 years ago we've always had gold and silver for very very specific reasons so the the, the amongst those reasons are you know, safe haven characteristics, portfolio insurance, portfolio diversification, and an inflation hedge and a crisis hedge. That's five, I think. Five, five is surely enough. Five reasons. Um, and so the, the the core thing you want to, if if you believe that, so and that thesis is basically driven primarily by an assessment that that has been the case for twenty plus years, which is there's too much debt in the world. If you accept the central thesis that there's too much debt, particularly government debt, and that the only possible way of keeping the show on the road is to is to basically inflate that debt away because nothing else is is practicable, nothing else is achievable, feasible. If you accept that thesis, then you want to own gold. Why? Because it's a store of value that's been money good for five thousand years, and every other currency is basically being devalued as fast as they can print it, and they're not even printing it; it's just a digital book entry now. So if you accept that thesis, then you want to own gold as an inflation hedge and as a crisis hedge. And then, so you start off with bullion, and then for people with the risk appetite, you then, you then in addition to the bullion um, exposure, you also can consider you know equity interests, so mining stocks, particularly mining stocks, mining companies that have little or no debt, because the thing that's going to kill companies in this crisis is going to be it's going to be uh, uh, being over levered. So those companies that have too much debt, which is brackets most of the US close brackets um, that's going to be the, the the critical point but for basically you know mining companies obviously profitable ones with strong with bulletproof balance sheets that you know those are those are our favorite investments right now and there's various other ways of playing the game and of course from from your perspective you'd, you'd probably include cryptocurrency that for us that's still a bit of a step too far but either way this is a basically a debt driven um, response. And the fact that the technicals now seem to be much more supportive doesn't exactly hurt the proposition. But it's, yeah. it's driven primarily by how do we protect our clients' assets when governments and central banks are doing their damnedest to try and destroy the value of the purchasing power of money. Talk of negative interest rates in the UK has increased of late. Yeah, because the Bank of England's now, I think it was the Bank of England uh, that, that basically started the Bloomberg reported it started uh, asking financial institutions and banks how they're prepared for negative interest rates. So, well, I'd like to borrow you know, a billion dollars if that's yeah. if that's the case. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you get paid well, to borrow you money, to, you might have to make it sterling because I think technically the Bank of England can't print dollars, but they've got swap lines, so they could they could affect it. One yeah, way or another. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, can I borrow a billion billion pounds, please? Well, have you not applied for a bounce back loan? <laughs> no. What's that? 
these are this government support. So, well, you know, God knows how much it's going to cost. I think the latest figure I saw is that, that 26 billion of, of basically taxpayers' money is going to evaporate because people have fraudulently abused this scheme. Um, but everything's a fraud now. I mean, there's very little honest money out there. Um, mm. Either way, it doesn't really matter because you can't even open a bank account now. So the, the, the news this morning was that, that, that small businesses are struggling to get to get basically to open bank accounts because the banks have been deluged by all these people trying to defraud the system. Really? Yeah. This was this, this was on the Today program this morning. So I don't know why I was listening to it. To be honest, I was it was a momentary moment of madness. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, on that note, Tim, thank you so much for giving us your thoughts. And um, yeah, with regard to the Sean Corrigan podcast, that will be out on Sunday. I think it should Excellent. be ready. Should be ready for that then. So brace, brace yourselves for impact. <laughs> yes, indeed. Just thanks once again, Tim, and I'll speak to you soon. Great stuff. All the best, Paul. Thank you, Tim. Take care. Bye now. Bye bye. And thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.